a British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast. It's show number 74. Yeah. I'm Ryan in Seattle. I'm Chrissy in Seattle. Yeah, I was calculating just a month till we make uh, our half yearly, one and a half years. So yes. Do we get half a cupcake? We have to share a cupcake for the half birthday. I have muffins upstairs. Oh. Well, in a month, you see. Because I brought you cupcakes last time, except I was a week early. Yes. No, they were quite nice, though. Yeah. I'm not going to turn down cupcakes. They're like <laughs> chocolate cake, you know, you take what you can get. In this they were life. good. They're from Pasta and Co. And I'm wondering, do you think that's a local company or are there Pasta are, and Co. where to sponsor you live? This podcast? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've got their own product line, but they only have a few shops in Seattle. So I was just curious. But sponsor us. Yeah, Pasta and Co. Well, they have a bit more of an Italian lean to their stuff, but that's all right. They sell cottage pie in the freezer section. What's so. that? That's, that's very British. It's um, like a meat and vegetable base with mashed potatoes on top. And then you, it's it's pub food. It's, okay. It's really good. I guess I didn't know it was cottage pie. Yep. All right. Or shepherd's pie. Shepherd's pie. pie. See, well, that's, yeah. okay. I guess they're slightly different the same, but I've, I've made them many, many times to use up any kinds of meat I could shove in there when I was cooking professionally. And Chrissy uses real shepherds. Yep, I do. I lure them in. This week's show, we have news, what's on British TV this week, shows running in the United States, DVD releases, and a feature on the evolution of British comedy. All right. From Cro-Magnon to <laughs> Homo erectus. Preparing for a party this week, you know. You were there. Yes, so. Chrissy's party was fine. There were excellent homemade tacos with, uh, and you did all the prep yourself. There were fish tacos and, and steak tacos and, and chicken, chicken tacos. Yep. And you had really good chips. See, proper chips have lots of salt on them. Well, they were they were the restaurant brands of chips, yeah, from a restaurant supply place. But I have so much food left. I always overbuy because I just don't want to run out. I would feel terrible if I did. So today was day two of my coworkers getting leftovers from the party. Yesterday they had chips and salsa, and today they had the last of the steak, beans and rice, with some cheese all mixed together on the last of the tacos, and they'll get cookies on next time I'm at work because I'm off tomorrow. Then I'll be through. (laughs) Then I will have used everything up. I got to meet some of your coworkers and and we actually met people who listen to our podcast. Oh my gosh. That's always scary. Oh, Eric. Yeah. Yeah. He watches things based on what we say. The power of our voice going out to millions or hundreds anyway. (laughs) I thought it was funny. Were you there when my Cat Declan finally came out. Yes, I got to see both kitty cats. Eric has probably given my cats more than half of the toys in their cat toy box. So maybe, maybe, just maybe Declan heard his voice. But then he would have come out for you too, though, because you're the food guy when I'm on vacation. I never see him. I see Annie comes out and eats like a horse because she is a horse-sized cat. And Declan will basically stay in the corner and wait for me to leave and then... Get the last of the last of the food. Well, he he did come out eventually and show off like crazy, which was really strange because he'd been under the bed for most of the time. But he did. He needed to show off. He was a show off kitty. Who knew it? Well, let's see. What did I say on Twitter this week? Bought tickets for Danny Boyle's Frankenstein with Benedict Cumberbatch. It'll be broadcast here in Seattle on April 11th. I don't know why it's so many more weeks after yeah. the rest of the world is getting I think into today March. Today or yesterday or something. It was the Derek Jacoby Hamlet that they were going to show, which was. Filmed quite a while ago at mm. the National. 
Do you know which version it will be? Because I know in England they were doing both a week apart. The rumor I heard was that Benedict would be playing Victor. Okay. It will not be live because, of course, I don't think they do the performance at 1.30 in the morning over there. <laughs> no, it was, it's, it was going to be live in the UK. And then a week later, they were going to swap roles and it would be yeah. shown again. So, Well, in Europe, it makes sense here because mm-hmm. of the time change. Although I'd be happy to go to 11 a.m. showing, but people apparently have jobs or something. I don't know. Yep. I got a tape and it had a whole bunch of the 2005 Christopher Eccleston Doctor Who episodes. And these are the off-air BBC One first time they broadcast that at the end of the episode had a card that said, you can see us again on BBC Three in two days. Mm-hmm. But what amazed me was how slowly the credits roll back then compared to now. You know, and Edith came down that all credit sequences had to be 30 seconds long and the credits in the center and all this so that they can shrink them down and promote the next show. But the first season, the credits ran slowly enough that you could actually read all the names. Hmm. Yeah, it's amazing how many six years takes makes a difference. I watched the Oscars on Sunday and good night for the King's speech, which I'm not surprised having seen the movie and it was pretty good. And good old Colin Firth got his Oscar finally. Some people thought he should have gotten it for a single man last yeah, year. Yeah, because he got a, bof- a BAFTA. So he won the BAFTA two years in a row over in the UK. And they were wondering if Jeff Bridges was going to win it two years in a row here, but he did not. Nope. It was Colin's year. Good for him. And I'm trying to decide whether to foist outcasts on our video club on Wednesday. You know, we show a mix of science fiction and comedy and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's an okay show, but I, I know they'd be just as happy watching more episodes of QI and Miranda. So we'll have to see. I think, but I'll give it a try. And, and we're going to do our tribute to Nick Courtney, too. I don't want to give any spoilers about this week's Being Human. It will remind you a lot of a 1980s movie that everybody okay. saw. The, the clue is the fact that the character's name is George. Okay. It's <laughs> a good name, George. My, uh, what was my grandfather's name? Oh, really? Yep. But my grandmother always said it wasn't a very good name for a baby, calling a baby George, that a George had to grow into his name. But she didn't know my grandfather when he was a baby, so it was all right. He was already a, a dashing young radio man in the Navy, in the U.S. Navy, and she was an Australian nurse when they met. It sounds like a Thornbird or something. (laughs) Well, in the news this week, uh, Showtime has renewed episodes and its Shameless remake. And despite low ratings on BBC Two, Showtime thought episodes did great for them. And so they decided they need more episodes of episodes. Mm -hmm. Mm, It's confusing. But it's the comedy about two British producers, which are played by Tamsin Grieg and Stephen Mangan. And they're trying to do an American remake of their own series with Matt LeBlanc. Americans are getting to see more episodes of the remake of Shameless as well with William H. Macy. But White's has been canceled, according to Alan Davis on Twitter. Yeah. He said, quote, worst news I've had in my whole career. Thanks to all who watched the show. Yeah, he was. I saw him being interviewed. I think it might have been on um, Graham. And he was talking about how much he enjoyed making it. He thought it was the perfect role for him. So he would have been, uh, he seemed to like it much better than playing Jonathan Creek. I liked him. I liked Darren Boyd, Catherine Parkinson. It was a good program. Mm-hmm. I mean, I liked it. Have you seen Whites yet? No, I, oh. I will at some point. I'm thinking we might end up talking about it as part of the evolution of British comedy, which shameless plug for that coming up in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> 
because it's certainly one of the new wave kind of shows there. So, what's on TV for the week of March 2nd to the 8th? Well, Wednesday, Waterloo Road will continue on BBC One. A History of Ancient Britain concludes on BBC Two. Thursday, the scary conclusion of Marchlands is on ITV One. And Mad Dogs has its season finale on Sky One. I haven't watched any more after the first episode. I've got them. I'll do it at some point. 10 O'Clock Live is on Channel 4. Yeah, they've had six weeks of doing it, and I'm still enjoying this topical news satire. I think Jimmy Carr gets the best bits and seems to be trying the hardest. Charlie Brooker and David Mitchell have settled into their roles comfortably, but I'm still not sure what Lauren Laverne is supposed to be doing. I saw an interview with her, and she says, well, I'm just the glue that kind of makes sure that we're on time and we get to the commercial breaks and holds it all together, but it's kind of becoming a boys show. Mm. Yeah, that, that can happen in British comedy. It's the very brave woman that veers into that territory. Well, what convinced me that uh, Carr was the true seri- star of the show was they did a sketch where they had a blonde woman behind a window at a bank. They've been, they've been making great hay about the bank bailouts and corruption and over there. And you would think, oh, they'd have Lauren Laverne doing that. No, it was Jimmy Carr in drag. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> oh, Celebrity Juice is on ITV2. Lunch Monkeys continues on BBC Three. I'm liking it. I think it's uh, nice. Nice alternative comedy. And Skins continues on E4. Friday, Benidorm is on ITV One. There, Alan Davis can go to Benidorm. There, his career's sorted. Oh, God. <laughs> it's over if he does that. <laughs> Benidorm is dead to me. I, I think I've seen the last one I'll see. I laughed twice, though, in the season premiere. Once was the idea that uh, Cillo Black is kinky. That was a very funny gag. Mm-hmm. And uh, calling one of the characters Benny Hill. And, you, and then they cut to him and you're like, yeah, he does look like Benny Hill. Okay. But other than that, it's over. I'm okay. sorry. But it got 7 million viewers yeah. on Friday night. So I'm pretty sure they'll make another series. I haven't watched it yet. But yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I don't know that I'm... Well, the Christmas special, of course, they had to completely rewrite on the fly because yeah. of losing a major cast member, but we'll see how it goes. To me, it is a dead show walking. It's it's on the air because people still like watching it, but there's really no point to watch it. That's my opinion. Hmm. Okay. Friday Night Dinner continues on Channel 4. Tamsin Green's in that show as well. Fast and Loose finishes its run on BBC Two. The Graham Norton Show is on BBC One. On Saturday, Harry Hill's TV Burp is on ITV1. I got a nice email from the Harry Hill fan site. Yeah, send it to uh, me. They said, good job on the podcast, which is always nice when we hear from fans of, of things that, oh, you didn't screw it up. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, they sort of realize, this is what Americans think about Harry Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was quite nice of them. Also on Saturday, David Williams begins his 24-hour panel show marathon for comic relief. It will be streamed over the internet on rednoseday.com, hopefully not region-locked, and highlights will be shown on Comic Relief Night in a few weeks. And it will include celebrity versions of Just a Minute, The Generation Game, Blankety Blank, They Think It's All Over, Room 101, Whose Line Is It Anyway, Never Mind the Buzzcocks, QI, Would I Lie to You, Mock the Week, Have I Got News for You, and many more. Wow. Good luck, Mr. Williams. It'd be great to see all the shows. Wow. <laughs> Sunday, Time Team continues on Channel 4. Top Gear is on BBC Two. Wild at Heart is on ITV One. 
South Riding continues on BBC One. Being Human is on BBC Three. The noose is tightening around Mitchell. This pass is coming to get him. Well, he did very bad things. Yes. Outcasts continues at 10.35 Sunday on BBC One. Monday, the story of variety with Michael Grade concludes on BBC Four. Law and Order UK returns for its fourth season on ITV One with Jamie Bamber and Freema Adjaman. Mrs. Brown's Boys continues on BBC One. Tuesday, Silk is on BBC One. ITV has a new travelogue called Carolyn Quinton, A Passage Through India. The Men Behaving Badly and Jonathan Creek, plus many other shows, star immerses herself in Indian life in this three-part documentary. Well, you know, I think that was Paul Merton's favorite place he's visited, so... And he used to be married to Carolyn Quentin. He was once married to Carolyn Quentin, <laughs> yes. So. Charlie Brooker's How TV Ruined Your Life concludes on BBC Two with a look at factual TV programs. Coming of Age finishes on BBC Three. Shameless has its mid-season finale on Channel 4, and it'll be back in mid-August for the rest of the run. Oh, they're doing it like Doctor Who. Yes, because they made 26 episodes, yeah, so they... great for them. <laughs> I wish we had 26 Doctor Whos if they were all good. Secret Diary of a Call Girl on ITV2. She, she comes back from New York and must confront the evil Charlotte. Mm. Did you see the one with uh, Charlotte cooking? No, I haven't. I haven't. In full been... dominatrix gear. <laughs> I'm always a little behind. I, okay. I got into gr- to Grandma's house this week, so that was my immersion watching. Oh, okay. And the United States on BBC America Wednesday reruns of the Tudors. Friday, it's Law and Order UK. Saturday on Being Human, Mitchell meets his number one fan, while the rest of the gang deal with a zombie party girl. It's followed by the Graham Norton Show. And Top Gear continues on Monday. The third season of Merlin continues Friday on Sci-Fi. DVD releases. The Norman Conquests. This is the famous ITV 1977 version of the Alan Ackborn trilogy of plays starring Richard Briers, Penelope Keith, and... Married. They were married to each other in it, which was very amusing. And a very memorable Tom Conti as the title character. And Penelope Wilton, very young, playing the role of Annie, who was played by Jessica Hines when you and I saw it on Broadway a couple of years ago. I saw this. Someone showed it to me in 1989. I was staying with mm-hmm. them. So 22 years ago. Wow. My and mom, yeah. I saw sat it. through the whole thing. It, she'd gotten it from somebody who'd gotten off PBS when they showed it back in the late 70s. My mom watched it then and she remembered it very well. And she was very excited to see it's coming out on DVD and wants it so i will have to get it for her i already have a copy of it but it's from television vhs kind of old so i'm gonna spring for the dvd cool we want those dvds to keep coming of that good old british stuff so you gotta support them here's some more coming out warrior queen alex kingston plays the legendary bodicea in this 2003 tv movie written by andrew davis I remember seeing that because I was really into Bo to see at one point, and I even wrote a screenplay called that, although it was going to be set way in the far future, but it was sort of based on the idea of, you know, the queen rebelling against the evil empire. What do we think of Alex Kingston? I'm liking her more and more. I really wasn't that impressed with her first appearance in Doctor Who. I didn't Mm -hmm. think she had any chemistry with David Tennant, but 
Uh, I think she's really getting great now because she's getting younger, you see? Oh, well, I like, I think they're showing not telling us more about her too, like her very effortless escape by kissing the guard when she realized she had to get to the doctor and you realize that she could have, she's playing a long game there for the good of the universe and the good of her doctor rather than just hightailing it earlier because she could. She was waiting till it was more important, so... Oh, I'm I'm very fascinated to see what they do with her mm-hmm. character and what the big reveal is. Although I don't think she's going to try to be some old character recycled. I think she's a character called River Song. Okay. That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. In Loving Memory Series 1, Thor Hurd and Christopher Beanie star in this ITV comedy from 1979. Interesting enough, they made a pilot in 1969 and it took them 10 years mm. to get on the air. Beanie is a fun last name. And I've always liked that name, the word beanie, so for what it is. Because I was a brownie and a beanie, you see, when I was little, and I like singing the song. What were beanies? Beanies are like little, slightly larger than a yarmulke, but sort of shaped the same well, way. Well, no, no, no. I know what the hat yeah. is, but what is what is it in relation to brownies? Because I know what brownies oh, are. Brownies where they're beanies. Oh, is that I'm what they call brownie them? brownie and a beanie, neath a beanie is my face. Oh. And that's about all I can remember. Okay. But yeah, we had to wear a little brown beanie. With the uniform in those days. I don't know what it is now. Hats. Mm-hmm. We call them hats. <laughs> we had to sing about it being brownies and our beanies. Murder Investigation, Team Series 1. The winner of the clunkiest title ever is this ITV crime drama set from 2003. I actually had to look that up because I thought, oh, surely that wasn't called that in England. This is some idiot in America has renamed some show that had a really cool title like Jason. Yeah, well, it sounds but, like a Jackie Chan movie title, doesn't it? You know, but it really plan is nine part A number two, you know, sort of thing. Well, it's not called series one, but Murder Investigation Team is the name of the series. Ah. And finally, uh, Napoleon and Love is a 1974 miniseries starring Ian Holm, a part he has played many, many times. Uh, Time Bandits. And a really interesting movie where he plays Napoleon and a Napoleon impersonator. Hmm. And they switch parts. And, uh, so he's the Michael Sheen of... Michael Sheen does Tony Blair. And Ian Holm does Napoleon. He's the guy you get. And he's well, he's great. I love Ian Holm. He's always very interesting to see. Loved him ever since. Alien. When he turned out to be an android. Oops, spoilers. No, I saw Aliens a million times because that was in the early days of us, my family, having cable. Mm. And it was on twice a day. But I never saw the original. So. Oh, really? Mm-mm. Oh. Nor any of them since. Just Aliens. Well, being a huge sci-fi geek in the 70s, uh, we actually, I can, I can reveal now, I skipped school the day to go see Alien. We uh, went down to the good old UA-150 theater mm-hmm. where Star Wars had played for years and years and uh, waited around the lobby and saw it opening day and I even got a program book from that. It's a very scary movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a horror film, not an action film. Yeah. Well, I'll have to see it someday. I know, it, I know it's good. And I even like the third one, which everyone hated at the time. Even Paul McGann was in it, but uh, David Fincher certainly came out very well after that. You know, he did Seven, and of course, just barely missed out getting an Oscar for mm-hmm. The Social Network. So, uh, well, I remember Mad Maz- Magazine had a strip on how to watch Alien, the original, and when you should get up to get your popcorn or go use the bathroom because the really scary part was coming. And it's going to, like, you're going to think something scary is going to happen now, but don't worry, it's just the cat. <laughs> and then oh. it was just how to how to watch the film and not terrify yourself. <laughs> Ridley Scott, who yes. directed the movie, is doing another one that was going to be a prequel, 
And then he said, well, it's not really a prequel. We're going to call it Prometheus, and it will have some alien DNA in it. Mm-hmm. People were excited. That, hey, he's going to make another science fiction movie because the two that he's made, Alien and Blade Runner, have both stood yeah, the test of time. Well. Oh, he's a good filmmaker. So our feature this week is the evolution of British sitcoms. And you suggested this. I did, and I read a bunch up on it because it seemed like it kind of comes in waves and I was just reading I think it was an article in the Telegraph where one of the actor was wondering if we were just inching into a new golden age of sitcoms and he was citing um, Getting On he liked Grandma's House not at first but he thought it was really hitting its stride by the middle of the series and and I must say I really liked the third and fourth episode of that a lot and The Thick of It he liked and Rev and just thinking that it might be sort of a new golden age, the last one being in the 70s, with, of course, Faldy Towers, Dad's Army, Good Life, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I think there were plenty of good comedies in the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, New Statesman and Blackadder and Young Ones. I mean, I don't think it, it went into an eclipse here. But are, are you talking about their success or actually how they've changed over the years? I was talking how they've changed over the years because... I was reading how when it started, the, what they sort of would consider a sitcom was really a popular comedian of the day playing a version of himself in all these different situations. Like Hancock's Half Hour. Yes, exactly. But there was a lot of realism in it in a certain way. And then it went to more of the three cameras, laugh, audience laughing, snappy one-liners of the 70s, and kind of more of the same but with a little up-thatcher, you know, But still, ones. characters yeah. telling jokes. Right. You know, there's a certain rhythm to the, I guess, quote, traditional sitcom, whether it's Yes Minister or Blackadder or The Good Life, where mm-hmm. characters are telling one-liners. Right. You know, they're talking in a way that people don't do in real life. And the, you know, audience is, is laughing at them. It's done like a stage show kind of thing. Right. And then... Everyone talks about The Office, and that was a big deal, too. That seems to be the turning point. I was reading an article that said that at the time, you know, a lot, the BBC had had a lot of uh, comedy failures. They thought, oh, this is the end of the, the sitcom. And, you know, what's this new show? It's got nobody we've ever heard about it. It's set in a really dreary location. It doesn't have a laugh track. What are they thinking? And, of course, you know, <laughs> The Office went on to be a huge, big success. Yep, and then I remember Victoria Wood doing Dinner Ladies about that time, and she's saying when she saw The Office, she was she was not happy with Dinner Ladies, and she couldn't quite put her finger on what was wrong with it to fix it. And it, when it was done, then she saw The Office and realized that's what she had hoped it would be, very naturalistic, and it had just been a traditional sitcom with them shouting at one another. She felt like they were always being kind of loud because the set wasn't built a certain way. Um, and she also thought after The Office that you couldn't do a traditional three-camera live audience sitcom anymore. It would just look too dated. But that's not being proven true. Oh, they've been happening all along, though. I yeah. mean, my family's been around for 10 years, and it's done that way. Mm-hmm. An interesting hybrid of that would be um, I'm Alan Partridge and the shows that Armando Inucci does because he kind of gets it both ways. He wants to be recorded in front of an audience hear them laughing and reacting to the jokes, but he wants it to look real. And so they Mm -hmm. build all four walls of the set 
the audience can't actually see the actors, but his observation was, if you ever watch a taping of these things, even though the actors are right there, everyone looks at the monitors. And they can see everything much better on the monitors than you can because the cameras are blocking anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they would build all four walls. So when you're watching this show, it looks like it actually is filmed on location, but they're all sets. They're in a studio. Wow. Okay. But he gets that comic reaction because he wants that live audience reaction. But the shows look like a cinema verite shot on location kind of program. Well, that is an evolving thing. We are kind of jumping around here, but um, it was just kind of interesting about how it seems like every 10 years there's sort of a shift of something that looks very current and now, and then something else will happen 10 years later. That, that sends things I back or, was, or goes was, in a new uh, direction? Maybe which, some, which way were you I'm, talking? I might be picking the wrong person, but I think Simon Pegg was talking about how he thinks that the young ones looks way more dated than good, the good life. Cause young ones very famously made fun of the good life and tore down the good life opening credits and stomped on them. Vivian did that. But now people feel more warmly. And at the time they were, pa- all the young people were passionate about the young ones, but now looking back on their childhood, it's an upbringing. They feel more warmly towards the good life. And that sort of thing. I think that's a bit of revisionist history, though. I think The Young mm-hmm. Ones is funny for what it is, and you have to realize what its audience was mm-hmm. in the 80s and trying to be this sort of punk alternative thing. You don't follow it? I think people are just kind of getting old and, and looking at it. Some pig said that? I think it was him. It was on a, some sort of retrospective that I was watching. Oh. A while I mean, ago. It's, it's okay to you know get this nostalgia for the good life that you may not have had originally, mm-hmm. but... I don't know why that you have to say and say, oh, the young ones look so dated. I don't think it looks dated. I mean, it is set in the 80s, and so obviously Thatcher jokes and things right. like that. But you have to think about what it was doing to comedy at the time. Uh, you know, I think it's a very important show. It's funny. I have a huge family all in Australia. And for a while, every year I was getting an Australian cousin who would be about 21 years old who had finished college showing up on my doorstep. And... I had a lot of young ones and the and comic relief and that you know, show, tapes at the time, which had been shown in Australia once and and weren't available on DVD or any and all of them kind of remembered watching it and wishing they'd taped it so they, I'd have my Australian cousins rolling around on my f- living room floor and howling with the young ones and Mr. Bean and that sort of thing that they weren't getting in Australia. I'm sure if you were to talk to the League of Gentlemen guys, they would Mm -hmm. say that being able to do surreal, crazy things comes from the young ones. Because that's certainly the first show to have, Mm -hmm. you know, we're in Narnia all of a sudden. Yeah. Or just, you know, just crazy things happening. Yeah, I guess that was, the show was really almost entirely written by Ben Elton. The ideas also came a lot from Rick Mayall and Lise Mayer, but Ben was the one with the discipline and the drive to sit down and take all the ideas, add a few of his own, and start typing. And then you think about alternative comedians kind of being co-opted by the establishment. You've got Jennifer Saunders, who mm-hmm. was part of that whole crowd, you know, the comic strip people, and you know, Absolutely Fabulous is a very traditional sitcom. It's shot in front of an audience, and the characters tell jokes. That's true. I mean, there's always been shows like that. Uh, I don't think they ever stopped being made. But yeah, there's certainly, you know, there there is a divergence there where, again, with The Office, then you've got things like Spaced, mm-hmm. which I think is definitely of the, you know, new wave. Right. The characters don't make wisecracks at each other. It's not friends. 
Yeah, have you watched Asylum that they did right before Faced with the same team with Edgar directing and Jessica and Simon in major roles? I don't think so. Well, they actually did shoehorn bits of their own stand-up in there, both on Simon's. And Jessica was playing two characters that were very, very different. She looked, she had a darker wig in one, but the way she held herself and her face, she looked like two completely different people. But they were, and Julian Barrett was in it, and he was shoehorning pre-Mighty Boosh, putting some of his stand-up in there, too. So that was kind of a hybrid. But Spaced, I think, yeah, is fully spaced. fleshed into mm-hmm. this this new genre right. where there's no laugh track and the characters aren't shouting jokes at each other. You know, the, the, fun, the humor, it's like a movie. The humor comes out of the situation, what the characters are doing, things that happen to them, uh, the way they react to things, but not, boom, I'm telling you a joke. Right. And then there was the whole um, sub-genre of the fly-on-the-wall documentary, The oh, Office, but going back further, people like us, which came before it. Oh, yes. Then there's This is David Lander with Stephen Fry and then later Tony Slattery. That must go back even further because mid to late 90s, I'm not as well, brushed up on as... Oh, okay. Hmm. But people thought it was, was this, uh, a real documentary series. Oh, okay. I think America, do we have the same twists and turns of styles that become popular and are sort of the it thing in America? Do they follow what Britain's doing at any point? Do you well, think, the sitcom has been declared dead many times mm-hmm. here. I, right before the Cosby show broke in the 80s, you know, it's, you know, comedy is dead. People aren't watching comedies anymore. Networks aren't commissioning them. And suddenly they were really, really huge. And they've proven to be real cash cows. Of course, it's all about making money in this country, not uh, putting on good television. And sitcoms just syndicate really, really well. So not only are they making money while they're on the air, then once you've got 100 episodes and you go into syndication, you just ka-ching, that's Mm -hmm. where the money comes in. We've gotten into this same thing where they've got out of the characters on a set telling jokes to each other a la Friends, which, mm-hmm. you know, was popular and that show's been around. But you know, starting with Hooperman, which had John Ritter in it, which was the first dramedy, mm-hmm. as they kind of, you know, no one knew to kind of call this weird hybrid. Well, it's it's supposed to be funny, but there's not a laugh track that continued on, well, Arrested Development, those kind of shows right. where it's characters aren't telling jokes at each other. It's funny and because of what's happening. So we had the 50s, the comedian Tony Hancock, right. through 60s, the Tony, because Tony, Tony Hancock actually at some point was being shown both on television and on the radio for the people who didn't have the TVs yet. Right. They would play it. And then we move on to the 60s where you had... Um, From Death Us Do Part, Steptoe and Son. Mm-hmm. And then the 70s, which was considered Fal- the golden age. Faulty Towers, right. Yes Minister, Up Pompeii, Dad's Army. Yeah, it ain't half hot, mum. Yep. I've had to explain that title to more than one person. <laughs> <laughs> that and some others do have them. Those are some interesting titles. Yeah, well, when I type that in my uh, for my indexes there, because you have to get the apostrophes in the right places, and if you do it wrong, mm-hmm. when your computer tries to index it, then it will screw up the whole thing. So you have to make sure you type it exactly with mm-hmm. apostrophes in the right okay. place every time. Same thing with a low, a low. It's apostrophe, a low, apostrophe, hello, exclamation point. That's the title of the series. Which 70s sitcom, Britcom, would you like to see brought back for a one-off episode? Like I know they the... did it with hello, hello a couple years ago. But if you could get remaining cast members together to do a... Where are they, where are they now? Would you like to see what Tom and Barbara were up to? There's no more Jerry, of course, but the Margot's still there. Well, because of deaths, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you can't do something like Yes Minister. 
Well, they did things like Auf Wiedersehen Pet, where they just, you know, replaced the character. Right. Faulty Towers, I guess, would be the the dream team there. But, you know, that's not going to happen. And and John Cleese, no matter how broke he gets, would never go back to that well. Because there is certainly fondness for those shows. And those shows are still being shown Mm -hmm. on uh, BBC that... uh, uh, certainly a fondness for those things. I mean, Dad's Army is still being shown all the time. That show was popular when it first started, and it's been popular in the 80s and the 90s and the noughties and the teens now. It's still getting repeats on BBC One. You know, it's a, it's a classic show. And, you know, like a Low Low, they did a lot of exterior filming, mm-hmm. but it was still presented in the same traditional way. The interiors were shot in a studio in front of an audience. They would, they would feed in the pre-filmed bits so the audience could laugh at those bits and it would all be edited together. Um, and it's, you know, characters telling jokes to each other. So we've already decided that the young ones circa 1982, that was a big seismic shift. For what, what, else, what other one? And the off, would you say the office or would you say? Yes, the office, for sure. We, they did have people like us, but the office had a much bigger impact and won more awards. And well, the royal family, mm-hmm. which uh, to to me really stretched what's called comedy, because I never quite got into the royal family. But I've been shouted down by a lot of people saying, "No, it's great." So you know, it's just my my taste. But uh, very popular, and I think influential on those kind of you know very dry comedy shows. Where you know you can be one set, nothing is really ha- trying to happen. Uh, you know, maybe that's the show that Victoria Wood wanted to make mm-hmm. with Dinner Ladies. I mean, I, to me, Dinner Ladies was very traditional because they were kind of they were telling jokes to each other. Right. Well, she just had a frustration that she wanted something new and that felt very natural and real, and she couldn't get there. She couldn't find the tools to get there in the end. And what she ended up up with was something that felt more traditional than she really had envisioned it. I hate to lay this sort of Woody Allen thing on, on Victoria Wood, but I think she's at her best when she's having people doing wisecracky kind of things, like mm-hmm. the Acorn Antiques sketches and that kind of stuff. Although she's certainly capable of writing perfectly good dramas, uh, and she's done that and mm-hmm. won lots of awards for them too. So, I mean, I, I, her, her later serious stuff is just as good too, or, you know, the, the things that are more uh, pathos-based. But, you know, she's good at making funny, and... I don't know if Dinner Ladies would have worked in the sort of the office kind of format thing because I think the character, you know, her, her kind of writing really lends itself best to the characters are telling jokes to each other. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, it could, have been, it could have been less not, you know, if she could have held out and not done it in front of an audience and got rid of the laugh track. The, the BBC's reliance on laugh tracks is, is really the strange, strange thing. I mean, they even tried to impose it on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. If you yeah. watch the making of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, they actually have a clip showing a scene with laughter in there, dubbed in there, and it's so off-putting. And I, they probably only won that fight because they said, look, we didn't have a laugh track on the radio version. We shouldn't have to put it on the TV version. And uh, cooler heads uh, prevailed. But then you get the curious thing of when the MASH was imported to Britain, the yes. BBC insisted on taking the laugh track out. Out of respect or just? I don't know what the memos were, but yeah, maybe they just thought it was in bad taste, even though it was clearly supposed to be funny. Mm-hmm. But that would have kind of made it the very first, one of the first, you know, shows intended to be funny and characters are telling jokes to each other. Hawkeye Pierce is whapping out the one-liners pretty fast and loose in that series. And, you know... But there wouldn't be any laughing in there. I think probably because of the war setting, and they're a lot more sensitive to that, even mm-hmm. though the Korean right. War, which I don't think 
Well, the British must have been in Korea, but they're part of the UN, but it wasn't one of their big wars. You know, they like doing shows in, and having laugh track. I mean, why does League of Gentlemen have a laugh track? You know, it's filmed on location. Right. There's no audience anywhere. They have to actually go to this extra step of showing to an audience and getting that laugh track put on there. Is it is it because they're from radio or uh, I mean who's I'm not sure who decides that the producers the BBC whether the you know the writers just thought oh no we want to hear that kind of laughing thing you know, we 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 sort of rely on that for the humor but they've gotten away from that like Psychoville does not have a laugh track yeah and then there's uh, the show the Graham Lanham shows like Father Ted and the IT Crowd which he likes doing the traditional you're in front of an audience three camera show. That's you know they, they they build those kind of shows and he likes doing that sort of stuff. So yeah, and I, I actually do think that the IT crowd feels very current and contemporary, even though it's the audience watching three camera show and could because of the subject matter or the jokes are current and funny. There is a place I think in this world and because of the elephant in the room that we haven't talked about of the three camera sitcom and that of course is Good Old Miranda, mm-hmm. which. Uh, hugely popular in Britain, is going to move to BBC One, big, big star, as he deserves, of Miranda Hart. And you don't get more traditional than that. And that hails all the way back to, you know, up Pompeii with Frankie Howard, you know, turning to the camera and basically narrating the show and doing asides all the time. And Miranda does that as well. I mean, it's a great device because you get to hear what the characters, what she's thinking as things are going on. You know, Peep Show takes that literally, where you get into the thoughts of the characters, which makes the comedy really work. You know, they're saying one thing, and they're thinking something completely different of that, and then that, the dichotomy is what makes it really work. But you know, having a character just turn to the camera and make an aside to the audience there you know, really kind of brings us into their world and makes right. the show about them. Again, it could kind of come full circle here, I guess, is what you wanted to talk about with this evolution, right? Yeah, who do you think would be commissioned first if they each went to the BBC with a project? Miranda or Ricky Gervais right now? I'm not saying he wasn't a movie star. <laughs> well, they both have him because he's yeah. working on his series with uh, Work Davis about uh, a dwarf trying to work in Hollywood. Oh, okay. So he's got something on. I mean, they both do because I don't think it's a zero-sum game, although you seem that way with all the shows the BBC's canceling left and right here. I don't know what they're going to put on. More dance programs. It's hard to say, but if they, if they can only choose one, which they would do. You know, right now, Ricky Gervais' show is running on Channel 4, which is a co-production with HBO. Uh, but certainly based on his past record, they, you know, I think anybody would be happy to work with Ricky Gervais. But you know, right now, obviously, the momentum is behind Miranda. They've invested a lot in her, made her kind of into a brand now. She's going to be now part of a sort of flagship BBC One comedy program. So they're obviously keen to give her stuff. She did 2010 Unwrapped. She's going to appear during David Williams' 24-hour panel show. She still feels kind of fresher and new for people who haven't really been aware of her, like me, for a long time, than Ricky, who's now been around quite a while. She clearly can create lots of material there. And mm-hmm. Although she does have writers, I saw I found the Twitter feed of the guy who co-writes Miranda, so you know, it's not just her. It's a team effort. I'm sure she'd be the first to admit that. show that it's kind of a, a weird hybrid of this would be, I guess, the in-betweeners. It's filmed on location. There's no laugh track in it, but the characters are firing jokes at each other. A lot of Simon Bird's little comebacks are, you know, no one would ever really say that in real life or, or say that at that moment. But, it, you know, you can, in the, within the conventions of a comedy, you know, he can get away with saying these things. We had the, let's say, the docu-soap parodies started with The Office and then The Thick of It, 
and then now getting on, which you really enjoyed, where there's barely a joke to be seen. Right. It's not really under the guise of there's a camera crew here making a documentary about this ward, but it is a very versus the office and the where you're clearly we're making a documentary on David the actor, you know, except he was playing whatever his character was, you know, right. he was in that. But it is still a fly on the wall observational. Put together like somebody making a documentary probably would choose shots, you know, if it yeah. was a documentary, that sort of thing. So it has sort of the same feel. But the comedy does not come from this character is telling a joke to us now. No. It's the situation. It's a different pace of comedy. You can kind of see how the traditional sitcom format is kind of like heroin to everybody in the system. It's the easy fix. I mean, BBC built this beautiful television center in the 1960s, and they had these massive studios, and they'd be busy every day. You know, maybe, you know, day one, they're doing a game show. Game two, Duchess of Duke Street. Day three, they're doing uh, a sitcom. Day four, Doctor Who shits there. And then the technicians are all working really hard, and it's this big machine. And it's easy for the audiences at home to accept these traditional sitcoms. It's they're like the shows they they they've been on for for that point twenty years. It's kind of like the radio shows they listen to. The audience is laughing. They're watching them, and so cheap shows to produce. Uh, the writers are familiar with this. You know, writing gags. If you're a really good gag guy, you can be knocking these shows out, and the audience accepts it all. And then, you know, we have this big shakeup now where. You know, you have to pay attention to get where the humor is. You know, in something like The Office. And you have to realize what an idiot David Brent is. And invest in the characters. Yeah. And get to know the characters, yeah. In a, a movie comedy, traditionally, you would be sitting in an audience. People are laughing with you. It helps make the humor go along there. That is the, the studio audience for the, for the comedy. And then Benidorm. Mm-hmm. Again, I think it's part of this sort of new wave where uh, it really shot on location, but Mick sometimes gets a few cracks out there. But he's the best because he's supposed to be that kind of northern sort of jokey guy. Right. But most of the characters aren't cracking jokes at each other. It's it's the characters and the, the situation that you're meant to laugh at. You know, most of these shows have ended up on BBC Two or on uh, Channel Four. Gavin and Stacey is kind of the exception to the rule because that started on BBC Three. Because that was really low key show, it's slice of life kind of thing. It's just about the characters and they're a little, a little quirky, a little bit odd. It, it did well on BBC Three, got promoted to BBC Two, and then eventually was on BBC One and and a big success. And it was a bit of a risk, I think, for BBC One to put on something like that that really deviates from what a BBC One comedy is expected to be. I mean, even when they promoted Absolutely Fabulous, it was still in that traditional comedy structure. And here was something much, much different. We've talked in the past about the you know stratification of the different BBC channels. Yes. And, you know, a BBC One audience is meant to be this mainstream audience that appeals to lots of people. And you don't want to try anything too experimental. That's for BBC Two and BBC Three to start doing. And uh, Gavin and Stacey somehow kind of snuck in under the radar and... It appealed to a lot of folks who people. may not have seen that kind of thing before, at least on television. What? There's a BBC too? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I've there. I've read some young people saying their parents just they don't change the channel from BBC One. They know what to expect from it, and that it will be nice, comfortable TV food for their for their brains. You know, at the end of a long day. Yes, no doubt they'll be uh, tweeting. Ha ha. They'll be picking up the phone and calling their kids saying next year saying, have you heard of this Miranda Hart? She's delightful. Mm-hmm. And like, yes, we've been watching her for years. 
address the bullet points, I guess, that we wanted to make I here? guess so. Uh, you know, there, there'd always be a place for the traditional three-camera sitcom, and uh, with the IT crowd and Miranda uh, being the good ones and you know, my family being one of the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the dull ones. There's coming on strong. Or, I mean, you know, Benidorm getting 7 million viewers. There clearly is an audience for that. And it's not your traditional, we're telling jokes to the audience sort of stuff. Yep. There's no audience. There's, There's no, yeah. That's true. I, I could easily do without laugh tracks on lots of programs, but I don't make them, so <laughs> they get what they get. And I like all sorts of comedies. Now, interestingly, a related program is coming up on PBS soon called Behind the Britcoms from Script to Screen. Okay. And you have to check your local listings. You might find out when KCTS is going to show it. I did lots of searches and I couldn't find it, although supposedly it starts running some places on March 5th. So because this is Pledge Month, though, I guess uh, stations will bung it in, you know, where needed or maybe they'll put it off to later. But keep an eye out for that. This is what, Friday? Yeah, I'm... No, it's Saturday. It's I'm, Saturday. Yeah, yeah, it's not Saturday we're night. We're doing Pledge Drive on Friday night, so right. I don't know what we'll show because I'll be there cooking for people. Well, it's not this because I looked, I looked on the schedule. Yeah, behind the Britcoms from script to screen, they, they went over, shot over in Television Center and uh, back in October. Uh, they watched, in fact, they'll be doing a bit on Miranda because apparently they were there during one of the tapings. Never been there. Well, and of course, it's going to kind of become extinct. They're mm-hmm. moving everything out. Uh, very famously, they're moving a lot of shows to Salford in Manchester, and a lot of the presenters are complaining about having to move out of the capital. I think they're moving Question Time up to Scotland or something like oh. that. So, because their BBC is really taking seriously this whole regional idea of moving everything out of London and using the facilities that are around the country. I've been to Television Center just on near near Waterloo Station. Both times I went to see. I, well, have I got news or, for you? And uh, the Clive Anderson all talk. Right. Which studios this, is that? That's... That was in, I think it was just London Television Tower or something like. It's it's just out of out of Waterloo Station, about a two minute walk. Oh, that's the South Bank. Yeah, and then I think Graham Norton tapes there as well. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I saw um, whose line is anyway done there. Yeah, there's a uh, studios and there's Hammersmith Studios, which is where this morning with Richard not Judy was done, and it's. It's weird. It's got a cinema upstairs, and then it's got a TV studio, and they can do live feeds to the BBC or whomever uh, right from there. So lots of places for uh, traditional shows to do where they bring in the audience. But I think the situation comedy in Britain is uh, strong, and there's lots of different threads going out there for the traditional kind of three-camera shows and experimental new wave shows that, uh, where the comedy comes from the characters and the situations. Maybe there is some new office kind of thing out there that's getting ready to break free and completely rewrite the rules of the genre again. Who knows? Next week, comic relief. Yay. Every two years, it's Red Nose Day, culminating in a spectacular night of comic relief on the BBC. Already events are leading up to the big day on March 18th, including Let's Dance for Comic Relief. You have to see Noel Fielding and drag dancing. It's oh, yeah? something to behold. Okay. And David Williams' marathon this weekend. So in show 75, we'll talk about classic moments from previous Red Nose Days, as well as what to expect this year. You know, the Mamma Mia parody two years ago with French and Saunders was announced as the last collaboration they were going to do. They weren't going to do sketches together anymore, and they've already broken that promise. They did a bunch of radio together, yes. so I wonder if they'll... I hope so. Their movie parodies are really, I think, what, what really um, puts them on the map. I think a lot of the usual suspects will be there because you know Richard Curtis is kind of the big Kahuna with Comic Relief, and he gets you know people 
to come and do stuff for them. And, and there's been a lot of classic sketches, and we'll talk about those next yeah. week, so it'll be quite good. And it's very exciting. I always look forward to uh, Red Nose Day, and luckily when the year that I was living in England, because they're the odd number of years, mm-hmm. they do it. They had it in six hours of great entertainment. We got uh, some listener feedback. Friend of the show, Phil, in England, who is heroically listening to our entire back catalog from show one to the present, checks in occasionally about what he's heard. And here's his reaction to show 58. Quote, you don't like diagnosis murder? Don't you see? He's a doctor and he solves murders. It's genius. <laughs> no comment? I, I haven't seen diagnosis murder. But so. the one with Dick Van Dyke. Oh, okay. It's like murder she wrote, except... He's a doctor. He's a doctor. Well, that, that would be helpful in some ways, I guess. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and does he bake cakes on the uh, and enter them into regional competitions on the weekend? That would that would be good, too. I don't watch it. And uh, like I say, I heard from Adam at the Harry Hill fan site, which is harryhill.wordpress.com. Very fine website, about all about Harry Hill. And uh, he'd be doing some comic relief, too, as well. And... He knew this topic was coming up, and so he said, with regards to the sitcom, Miranda is great, but the genre has developed so much. In my view, some ones you might want to mention are teenage life in the in-betweeners, politics in the thick of it, the reality of getting on, the interesting take of Grandma's house, my family's endurance, family life in Outnumbered, Gavin and Stacy, Benidorm and the royal family, religion in Rev, office life in the IT crowd, sci-fi in Red Dwarf, the unique style of Peep Show, the gag packed not going out, and the now finished last of the summer wine. Hmm. Yes. You put uh, some thought into that. Thank you. He did, probably more than we did. <laughs> so thanks, Adam. <laughs> Want to do a podcast? Okay. We have to uh, promote our website, which is www.britishtvpodcast.com, and there you can find links to headlines, show notes, what's on TV this week, and an archive of our previous 73 shows. And you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash BritTVPodcast. And if you have comments or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Feedback at BritishTVPodcast.com is our website. I've been looking every, at the end of the month, I always look at our stats to see what our most popular shows were. And uh, you'll never guess what our, probably our most popular show for the last six months has been. And just the steady hits month after month after month. It's our Sarah Parrish show. Oh, okay. Probably because nobody else talks about her. Okay, that might be it, yeah. We come up high on the Goog. Yeah, she's popular. I I love Sarah Parrish. I think she's great. So, uh, yeah, I just kept noticing just every month, it's just very steady stream of people listening to that podcast and pulling it out. It's not the same person listening over and over. Not unless they're doing it, you know, dozens of times. okay. I think they could download it and have it. The most popular one we've had is our Christmas Review show. I don't know why, just it was... A lot of people wanted to hear a lot of reviews, I guess. I guess you need to write more reviews. And our Being Human one two weeks ago was that got a lot of hits because okay. incessant promoting and the show is very popular right now. So hopefully some of those folks will stick around. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.